I was, but I had a broken identity that started with my grandma. And so uh, when I realized I, I, I didn't feel like I could trust men uh, because, you know, I was being abused either sexually or my, my dad was hitting me. It, it was just this whole thing. I didn't have a safe place to go. And I couldn't talk about what was going on. When I told my mom and dad that Uncle Fred sexually molested me, they said I was a liar. So I, I had no place except this identity where I could go to feel safe. Yeah, I'm Walt Heyer. I'm from the USA, out east uh, in the Carolinas. And uh, I'm here in New Zealand uh, to be with my friend David today. Uh, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, well, I'm here in New Zealand because um, I was uh, one of those people. Uh, I, 40 years ago, I went through the surgical procedure they called sex change surgery, and uh, I lived eight years identifying as a female. And um, during that time, I started studying psychology and, and looking at recovery and all kinds of other things uh, while I was at university uh, in California. And I realized that people who identify as transgender are suffering from something that happened to them, uh, probably at a young age. Um, and I was myself, uh, had a difficult childhood, which lead, led me to identify as a female. I lived that way, as I said, for eight years until I finally started sorting things out and realizing that I needed the Lord Jesus Christ in my life and uh, that my identity should be in Christ, not having my identity and being a transgender person. Yeah, well, uh, I was young. I was born in 1940, I'm 82 years old. And uh, my dad was an industrial uh, good salesman. He was a traveling salesman, worked very hard. He was a really good man. And my mom uh, was a stay-at-home mom for most of my early life. And she was only uh, like 19 years old, 20 years old when I was born. So she was very young. And so we lived um, kind of in a proper um, little home, small. Um, we were poor, but um, our humble beginnings uh, were really good. We were in a nice little neighborhood. So we had a good, a good growing up. Yeah, I mean, I was going to church. My parents were people of faith, and um, they would drop drop my brother and I off at the local church, a Presbyterian church. So uh, my grandfather actually at one time was a pastor, and so uh, there was uh, the faith, but it wasn't deep and it wasn't consistent. And it wasn't really pronounced. We didn't, you know, pray or read the Bible. So it was sort of a I would say, looking back on it, it was more superficial um, than being uh, really immersed in, in the Lord when I was growing up. Yeah, well, that's where things kind of went wrong. You know, when I was growing up, um, as I said, my mom was only 20 years old, and I had an older brother uh, who's 18, is born 18 months before I was. And my mom really didn't want me. Uh, she didn't want to have a child. She was too young, and, and, um, I think she was um, just not prepared to have another child in the house. And so my mom, unfortunately, um, never showed any affection toward me, never um, never really liked me. And I was always trying to gain her approval. And, and when my parents would drop me off at my grandma's house, my, my mother's mother's house, I started cross-dressing at four years old. 
And uh, my grandma then made me the famous purple dress that she dressed me up in and told me how cute I was. And I thought, well, maybe my mom would love me if I was a girl, I guess. And, and so um, that began this journey that uh, has lasted now for 78 years when I started cross-dressing at four years old. Yeah, that was, you know, I, what I realized now in, in reflecting back on my early life was that with my mom not liking me and my grandmother sort of affirming me and liking me, uh, putting me in a dress, it really uh, was child abuse, um, telling, you know, telling me that how cute I was instead of as a girl, instead of telling me how handsome I was as a boy is child abuse. It's emotional and psychological child abuse. And so I, I see that time as the start of um, my brokenness and my identity. And, and so from that day forward, I struggled really for the next uh, 45, 46 years. You know, all I knew when I was four years old, because there were no terms, they didn't have all these terms they used, transgender and stuff. I just knew that for some reason, uh, my grandmother was cross-dressing me. I, I was enjoying it, I guess, because I was getting attention. Um, and I, I wanted attention. I wanted to be loved and cared for. And when I put on a purple dress, that's when people seemed to pay attention to me. And But it was uh, the start of the destruction. I started not being able to sleep at night when I would go to bed because I kept wondering, I wonder why, you know, people don't like me as a boy. What's wrong with me? And there must be something wrong with me. So that was very depressing to me. But I continued to uh, think that I should have been a girl, um, but I didn't have the terms. And I actually didn't have any of those terms until I was in the 1950s, probably I was 12 or 13 years old when uh, Christine Jorgensen, who was kind of the first person that uh, they published in a newspaper about having undergone sex change surgery, which they called Christine Jorgensen a transsexual. They didn't use the word transgender. And I thought, well, that must be what I am um, now that I'm in my early teens. And, you know, early teens are very impressionable and you're trying to latch on to your identity. And I think that was the second part that was a pivotal part in my life was just uh, seeing that article about somebody having this surgery. Yeah, well, I started cross-dressing um, in the garage privately um, and in the house, I would uh, kind of hide what I was doing. I would hide clothing. I used to go out and steal clothing out of these bags that people would put out for the Goodwill and these other agencies and I'd find clothes and then I'd hide them at home. So it was kind of, um, God, really disturbing when I look back on it, what was happening. You can see that obsession, that that feeling that I there was something wrong with me and I was trying to sort it out through clothing, you know, and uh, it's a devastating time. So my, my parents, um, my dad did not like it at all. In fact, my dad, when he found out that I was cross-dressing, he was very heavy-handed on his discipline of me. Um, my mom never ever said she loved me that I can remember. Um, and then um, and then my uncle, my dad's adopted brother, started sexually molesting me when I was young. So I had all these things going on in my life that, that really confused me, uh, that disturbed me, that I just didn't know what to do with. And so cross-dressing probably became kind of a, almost like a, a way of having an identity that wasn't being abused. It was an identity that I could uh, remove from who I was. 
And so it became sort of my hiding place, I think, uh, as a way to hide and, and feel safe, which uh, was a mistake to think that because it wasn't a hiding place. It was really a, a disturbing mental disorder that was starting to be developed. It is so disturbing and so confusing, but you know, I, I have to say I was I never had homosexual feelings. It wasn't about homosexuality. I was never attracted to men. I was but I had a broken identity. It started with my grandma. And so uh, when I realized I, I I didn't feel like I could trust men uh, because you know I was being abused either sexually or my, my dad was hitting me. I mean I love my dad, don't get me wrong, but um, it was just this whole thing. I didn't have a safe place to go. And I couldn't talk about what was going on. When I told my mom and dad that Uncle Fred sexually molested me, they said I was a liar. So I, I had no place except this identity where I could go to feel safe. But I, I have to stress how unhealthy and how, you know, you, you need to understand that when I was doing that, that I was actually developing a mental disorder, that I was diving into the identity that really was a, a, a persona of something that wasn't me. By the time I reached 19, 20, 21, I was starting to become more public. I would even go out and, and go places dressed up. Uh, Cross-dressing then became something I did more publicly. Um, but I had, um, you know, I had a girlfriend at the time. And when I told my girlfriend about what I was doing, you know, she got really... Uh, afraid of me. Her name was Joy. And she got, it bothered her so much that um, she just left me and, and dumped me, which is fine. But I, but I realized that I couldn't talk to anybody about it. I had this, I had to keep it a secret because if I t told anybody about it, um, it bothered them because they didn't know what to do with it. Keep in mind, you know, this is uh, a long time ago, you know, in the seventies and stuff. So, um, but eventually I met a girl at church and uh, I told her about what was going on. And she believed that us getting married and I believed us getting married, this would go away. That was getting married would be a way of resolving my discomfort um, and all this stuff about cross-dressing and the idea about being uh, transsexual. And so um, that was another mistake. <laughs> because getting married doesn't solve it. You know, those issues started so early in life. And so uh, our marriage struggled um, and we were married for 15 years and had two children. Uh, I became an alcoholic and a drug addict. And um, I went eventually, after being married for almost 15 years in my late thirties, went to a gender clinic because that's what I thought my problem was. And so I went to a gender clinic and talked to Dr. Paul Walker, who is an expert in this field. And he told me that, well, if I'm going to get healthy and resolve all my problems, I needed to take hormones and have surgery. And so, um, and he knew my whole childhood history and knew about me being abused. And, and so I thought that was pretty radical, uh, but I thought, geez, I, I want to get whatever this is that's going on with me. I want to resolve it. And um, so I, I listened to him. I took the, the thing where I could get hormones. He gave me a, a letter so I could get hormones and have surgery. And so I stayed on that program for two and a half years. I divorced my wife, left my children in 1983. 
you know, the hormones, um, they're, they're a little bit um, sinister. They're, they're like evil because what happens when you take, a uh, guy takes female hormones is they're, they're like a very calming drug. It's like taking a, a, it just makes you calmer and docile. You know, you're not thinking clearly. You're, you're buying, it's a really an addictive drug. I, I look at hormones as being very addictive and very destructive. And um, so you, you go through this thing and you're being driven by drugs, um, just like if you were a drug addict. And so um, I bought into all that. And, and after taking and getting divorced and taking the hormones for all those years, had the surgery in April of 1983 and then started living uh, my life as uh, Laura Jensen. And that's when I started uh, actually Getting into recovery, believe it or not, being becoming Laura, I decided to go into alcohol and drug recovery uh, because I was really trying to sort my life out and felt like um, that was important. So in many ways, um, identifying as Laura kind of drove me into thinking about recovery, but, uh, but it took, you know, eight years to go through that whole process. Yeah, you know, the initial reaction to going through the surgery, you know, like the first week you know, you think all oh, the weight of the world is lifted off you. I think what happens, though, is that you're fooling yourself. You're, you're trying to convince yourself what you did was the right thing to do. So you, you focus on telling yourself, this is going to be good. This is going to be fine. And it's all a lie because the truth is the surgery and the hormones do not change you into a woman. No, no one in history has ever... No doctor, no hormones, no surgery, nothing has ever changed a man into a woman. It's never happened. It can happen. The only thing that hormones and surgery does is feminize men and it masculinizes women. It does not change their gender. You're still a man. It's just that you're wearing a dress and hormonally you look a little different. But the fact of the matter is nobody in history has ever changed their gender. It does not happen. That was kind of this place where... Uh, it really was a time when I was trying to find out what was going on. And this was a radical way for me to dive into my life and try to figure out how to resolve what happened. And I think that's what really came to me as I began to study psychology and began to study and live out my life. You begin to realize that the things that happened, my mom not liking me, my grandma cross-dressing, my, my dad hitting me, um, and my uncle sexually molesting me were all things that were uh, causing me to have uh, doubts about who I was. It confused me so deeply in my identity that I ended up having surgery and taking hormones, which was a big mistake. What I really needed from my parents and from my family was not being cross-dressed and not going through the surgery. What I really needed was a way for, to find out how, why I could get my mom to love me and care for me. And I could get my grandma to stop cross-dressing me and tell me how wonderful I was as a boy. Wouldn't that have made a whole different world? And, and the, the, here's the thing. If I hadn't worn that dress my grandma made, my uncle never would have sexually molested me. That never would have happened. The dress caused so much problems. And then my dad never would have hit me like he did, it, it was because of the dress. The dress, the single dress made by my grandma began 
the destruction of my identity in my early life. Yeah, when I started studying psychology and reading about psychology, I started realizing that, you know, when we're young and things happen to us, if we're sexually abused or if our family's falling apart or something that happens to us and we don't resolve it by getting therapy when we're young, we're going to end up acting out in some inappropriate way. We're going to be drug addicts. We're going to be thieves. We're going to hurt people. We're going to hurt ourselves. Nothing works properly in our life if we don't get the therapy we need early in life from things that happen to us. And that's what happened to me. And, and I'm finding this out more with all the people that I work with because I've worked with thousands of individuals who've gone through the surgery and we go back and see Many of the same things happen to them that happened to me. So studying psychology helped me find my way back to the Lord Jesus Christ and realizing that the Lord made me perfect just the way I was. I just didn't need to be abused. I didn't need to abuse myself with hormones and surgery. If we sit back and have a, a real serious conversation about identifying as a transsexual woman, as an example, if you step back and begin to analyze every process that you go through is self-destructive, isn't it? I mean, you're changing your name, you're putting things into your body, you're cutting body parts off. Everything you do, it's not about becoming someone else. It's actually about destroying who you really are. If you, if you can grasp that and understand that identifying as a transgender, you're actually destroying who you are because you cannot become who you're trying to become. And so this is a, a real lesson, a real time for us to understand if we, can, if we can understand we've been harmed and we need to show how we can begin to love ourselves the way God made us and, and not take hormones and not cut our body up, not take on a different identity. Our identity should be in Christ. I, I went into uh, you know alcohol recovery. I went into recovery center, and for those people who know about that, I was doing the steps and going to meetings every day. I was working, uh, living in a, a treatment facility, and um, I began working on my fourth step and going to a, a psychologist, a therapist, talking about all the things that happened to me in my life. And during that fourth step meeting which went on for a long time. I'd written all these things out that had happened to me with my mom and with my dad, my uncle, and all these things that had happened and during my fourth step. And so it was during the fourth step that my life really changed. And um, as at the end of our session with the psychologist, you know, um, we went out outside. I'd written all these things down that had troubled me all my life on yellow line paper. And we went outside his office and he took a match and he set this paper on fire and just let the paper burn. And it was this kind of a way of getting rid of what had happened. It was cathartic. It was important for me to see that they were just burning up and disintegrating. So when that happened, he said, well, let's go back to my office and let's pray about what we, what we just spent time doing, about what the Lord's going to do in your life. And to be honest with you, I did not want to go back and pray at that time. I was so tired. Um, and he kind of convinced me to go back and pray, but he was one of these guys I knew that was going to pray for a long time. And I thought, oh boy, I don't want to do this. But I, I went ahead and went back to the office and he started praying and he was praying and he continued to pray. And I don't think I was really listening to his prayer very much. I was really wanting him to, to stop praying. 
And there was a moment where I didn't even hear him anymore. I couldn't hear his voice. But what during that time with him, what I did see is I looked up and I saw the Lord Jesus Christ actually coming down toward me. And I looked in front of me and there was a little baby in front of me. And I looked at the baby and I said, that baby is me. The Lord is coming for me during that prayer that I didn't want to have. And he came down, the Lord did, and picked that baby up and put him in his arms. And then the Lord turned to me and he said, you are now safe with me forever. And that was the moment the Lord came to redeem my life from the time I was a baby and until now when I'm speaking to you. So that moment, that time was trans what transformed my life during a prayer that I didn't want to have when the Lord came to redeem my life. And from that day forward, I've been serving Jesus and speaking out about how important it is to understand that you don't need to go through hormones, you don't need surgery, you need the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I did start writing. I wrote, I, I started writing, but um, I hadn't really developed the skill. The Lord hadn't really given me the skill of writing at that time. So I, I did a manuscript that was 33,000 words and actually threw it in the trash can. And, but- and that was about your life. Yeah, it was about my life. But then I got married uh, to my current wife, Casey, in 1997, and, and I started looking at how I could write my stories. And so I started writing books. I've written seven books. They're all outstanding and everybody should have at least one of them. And one of the ones I wrote though tells the journey, this is called Paper Genders. And this talks about what happens um, and how this all got started, who the people were and what their, uh, what their reasonings were for doing surgery on people, the reasonings for hormones. But what I found in writing this book was that there's been a real conflict over the years between surgeons and psychological doctors, uh, psychiatrists. Uh, surgeons want to be the people who cure mental illness and psychologists want to be the people who cure mental illness. So there's been a feud. And this tells about the stories starting back in the early 1900s about surgeons trying to cure mental illness all the way up until we see this whole idea of what they call sex change or gender affirming surgery. They are just surgeons trying to cure mental illness with surgery and hormones and it's actually causing people more harm. This is a great book. This book is published in Italy and sold around the world, and it can be bought here through Ingram Sparks. John Money was, and I wrote extensively about him in this book, and, and John Money was um, a very evil, sick man who was actually a pedophile or a pedophile activist. He loved seeing children uh, engage in sex with each other. He did that with the Raymer twins. There's quite a story about that. And what we realized from John Money is that he actually falsified all of his research work to make it look like uh, hormones and surgery were effective in helping people. He lied. Every bit of his research uh, after many, many years was finally found out to be a total fraud and he lied to sort of bolster his ideas about giving people hormones and surgery. And so um, he was an evil man that probably is very responsible for some of the problems we have today. 
His name was John Money. John Money was a psychologist and professor at Johns Hopkins University. Gender ideology was his brainchild. And according to Money, babies are gender neutral at birth. And ultimately, environment determines whether a person is a man or a woman. And so Money tried out his theory on two young twin boys, the Reimer twins. They went to be circumcised, and his penis was burnt off. John Money convinced Bruce's parents to transition him into a girl. Money also conducted sexually abusive experiments on the twins throughout their childhood. The results were a disaster. Bruce could never fully accept his female identity. He chose to transition back to a boy. David spoke out about the abuse and the damage done to him by John Money. The trauma left deep scars. His brother died of an overdose, and David committed suicide. There was never a retraction or an apology from John Money. Instead, his ideas were adopted by mainstream psychology, and they form the basis of gender ideology today. Why don't more people know about John Money Alfred Kinsey? Evidently, there are forces that don't want this information out. And there's a reason why they don't want you to seek uh, therapy, psychotherapy that I'm suggesting. And it's because if you do get the proper psychotherapy and you do get the proper trauma therapy, you won't take hormones and you won't have surgery. And so it kind of, it would, if, if we did the right thing and, and got the right therapy, the trauma therapy and the help that we need, it would completely end the gender clinics being able to give people hormones and surgery. People don't need it. It is, it is probably, in my view, these are my words, it is the greatest medical fraud in my lifetime to tell people to take hormones and have surgery because not one of them, none of them are ever going to change their gender. And the regret rate is extremely high. There's a website that you can go to. And you don't have to believe me. You can go to a website called r slash dtrans. It's a Reddit website. A link and you go to that website and there's on that one site alone there's some 50,000 regretters and detransitioners on that site there is literally thousands and thousands of them there's thousands of them in Canada it's thousands of them in the UK many of the people don't have an opportunity like I do today to speak out and be able to share with you about the fact because they don't want you to know about people regretting and doing detransitioning. You can just look up the word detransition on your on the website and you can see all these stories. There's so many documentaries now. I mean, I've I've worked with Richard right now, um, he's a great guy. He he had schizophrenia, bipolar one disorder, and PTSD from the time he was 13 years old. And it was a matter of medical record. And they still cut his genitals off in 2021, March of 2021. And by August of 2021, he contacted me and, and keep in mind, schizophrenia. I mean, what they did, they did surgery on one of his schizophrenic characters, you know, that he had the split personality thing. And so when he finally came out of the, the surgery, he realized what he had done. He says, you know, I wanted to be a father. I wanted to be a family man. And they've ruined my life. I, if my website, sexchangeregret.com, had, I've gotten over 2 million views to that website, and I've had thousands of people writing me about their regret. If, in fact, the gender clinics were actually doing their job, listen to what I'm saying. If the gender clinics were authentic and truthful about what they're doing in their clinics, I would have nobody writing me about regret and wanting to detransition. I don't want people to just believe what I have to say. <clears throat> I want to challenge you to go look up the information. Go look up adverse childhood experiences and ACEs and look at what they're about. 
and write to me at my website, sexchangeregret.com. And I want people to have the opportunity to save them from being a regretter of detransition. So go out and look at the sites. I'm so glad that I was here in New Zealand. And you check out all these different detransition stories. There are thousands out there. I'm just one of them. Thank you so much for allowing me to share with you today.